Welcome to First Takes, weekly conversation with the pastors at First Perez here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. With me as always are Pastor Randy Neighbors and Pastor Dick Kane. Our question today, how should Christians think about money? It's a big one, has been in church history. I think it always will be. The Bible has a lot to say about money, how we make it, how we spend it, what it's good for, what it's not good for. But want some wisdom on that, brothers. So how should Christians think about money? Mm. I think of the passage, because uh, this, this uh, verse of Scripture has helped me when I've been worried about money. Um, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Uh, in God I trust. And I really love the fact that American money has the motto of our country on it. And I would just encourage every Christian to remember that when you worry about money, if you, if you can find one piece of money, pull it out and read that motto. Um, because if you trust in the money, you're in trouble. But if you trust in God... He'll provide. You know, I grew up in poverty. I've seen my mother weeping at the kitchen table because there was no food left. And I've seen her pray. I've heard a knock on the door, and there were the deacons of the church with bags of groceries. So I, for the rest of my life as a Christian, I have always tried to teach and preach. Never should there be any family in the church house who goes hungry. There's never a reason for that. If we, we sh should always be a people of mercy, whatever we have, we can share with our brothers and sisters. This should just be standard understanding of what it means to be a Christian. But I will tell you, if you don't trust in God, you'll be terrified uh, because you will not know where it's coming from. You will be terrified somebody will steal it. Um, and, you know, for the poor, like my mother was mugged five times in the neighborhood we lived in. She would sometimes come home with a paycheck and it it all be gone just in one strong arm robbery. And uh, if your trust isn't in God, you got to trust in guns. You, gotta, you know, you got to trust in everything else to protect what you got or to get what you don't have. Well, like everything else that is created in this earth, money is a, a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And Jesus told us we can't serve two masters. Um, I think one of the things that I would, I would want to uh, challenge or encourage a person to think about is what you possess. Are you the owner of it? Are you the steward of it? And... Being honest, I think all of us, we are allergic to being stewards. We want to own. It's my money, it's my 401k, it's my house, my car, my family, my children. And I think that ownership mentality, which is rife in all of our hearts, creates an impulse. Uh, I call it a clench fist mentality. We hold on to everything, our career, our church, our kids. Um, and if you come to, to the wonderful freedom of living as a steward, 
it enables you to, to move from a clenched fist and a clenched jaw to an open hand and an open heart. And that, as you taste the generosity of your Heavenly Father, it will make you generous. And I would, I don't know if this is Wesley or who this is, but he says, uh, his counsel to Christians, make all the money that you can, you know, save all the money that you can and give all the money that you can. The Lord blesses a cheerful giver. And I would say that as you talk, look at um, C.S. Lewis and a bunch of other writers that write on generosity is that uh, for, for most of us in the West, uh, ordinary charity is not going to do. We need to give not just to uh, just bare minimum. We need to give sacrificially. I don't own. I don't own anything. Everything I have is a gift of God to me. Every ability I have. In fact, I used to really challenge my kids with this. Son, daughters, every ability you have, musical ability, uh, intellectual ability, every resource you've been given, your car, whatever it is, your musical instruments, it's either an idol that you set your heart upon and it will break your heart because you're, you weren't made for this. Or it's a tool that you deploy in the Lord's kingdom service. And so that's, that's the difference between an owner mentality and a steward mentality. And what, would you add, this, what would you add to that? Well, I said we're going to make this a truly reformed podcast because I'm going to make a Lord of the Rings reference. Ooh. <laughs> I think the easiest way to understand stewardship is if you remember in the book, Denethor is the steward of the house of Gondor until the king returns. And he didn't like being a steward as the book plays out, and Aragorn comes to take his rightful place as king. But all he had to do was take care of the house until the king came back. It wasn't his house, mm -hmm. but the problem he had was he started to think of it as his house. Yeah, yeah. Not a steward anymore, but the king. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the oikonomos, you know, the, the, the house manager. So your children were given gifts, and you're giving money, I'm giving money, strength, talents, whatever we have. You say it's not ours, it's God's. How do we use it? And how not only how we use it, how do we think about it? Say, okay, this is God's. I mean, all my time belongs to Jesus. All my physical strength belongs to Jesus. All my gifts, everything I have belongs to Jesus. Am I using it for him or do I use it for myself? Do I distribute it for his glory and according to his direction? So, um, you know, I, I absolutely agree that we won't accomplish the Great Commission just with our surplus giving, giving out of our surplus. We have to be able to give sacrificially, but we won't do that unless we really trust God to provide for us. If we're terrified that we'll never have enough or that somebody will take it from us, we can't give freely. We're, mm. we, we're just scared all the time. And one thing I'd add is I was just reading this the other morning from 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God. So what you were saying, Randy, pull out that piece of money. 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I think pausing right there, I was reflecting. God does does not condemn wealth. And because we live in a time that, that sees wealth as inherently evil, it's easy to misread the Bible that way. What he does condemn is what he just told us, setting your hopes on it, being proud of it, and thinking that it's certain, thinking that it's what you can really trust in instead of God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I think about the Old Testament when God gets Israel together and says, now, you know, you're going to get this tithe. You're going to give me this tithe, and then I'm going to ask you to throw a party. (laughs) And if you refuse to rejoice, you're going to be cut off. So he wants us to enjoy, but then he follows up. They are to do good and to be rich in good works. I love that contrast. There's worldly kind of present evil age riches. There's the apostle's eschatology. He's always looking to that age to come that's broken in because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's those kinds of riches. And then there's the riches that last, rich in good works. And that's what he tells us. Storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. So I think one of the things the apostle teaches us is a future orientation to wealth. How are we thinking, again, as stewards about what we're stewarding now for future bounty that is not simply a comfortable retirement and enough money? Mm. He's going way beyond that. He says the apostles' plan for us and God's plan for us is much bigger. He says, Mm. no, the future is better than you ever expected, more bountiful than you ever expected, if you're storing up the right kind of treasure. Mm. I've always liked that verse because I felt uh, as a pastor— here God was telling me I could command the rich. Because <laughs> in one verse it says, command them yeah. to be rich in good works. Yes. And, uh, you know, and that, that's a, a measure of authority. And, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, I, I, I've always uh, told people, wouldn't it have been fascinating to be in, in Mary's kitchen with Jesus and James growing up in her house? And having conversations about economics. (laughs) Because if you look at the teachings of Jesus and of Mary and of James, when it comes to money and the rich, that's a pretty radical household. You know, Mary's quoting of Hannah's prayer and the whole upside down view of the kingdom. You know, you, you feed the hungry with good things, but you send the rich empty away. And, you know, Jesus said, you can't love God and money, Mm. you know. And then James, you know, says, who do you think's causing you trouble? You know, Mm -hmm. you you don't treat the rich in a better way and and send the poor to the back of the room. I kind of get a kick out of that Mm. uh, view of Jesus and wealth and economics. Yes. And I've always been fascinated with um, how Jesus treated some of the wealthy people he came across. Think about um, uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, the Pharisee, and he got him the tomb. You'd be super wealthy to have that tomb. And, you know, Jesus obviously touched that man's life and Nicodemus's in a way where they began to serve him. And exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. 
Yep, I'm the only way. And then, but there we go where having the money wasn't a bad thing. It's that when Jesus came into his life, he realized I had probably, I mean, we could surmise he had that to him because as a wealthy person, he was a man of authority and standing. And he was going to use that for himself to have a monument to his family. And then when Jesus came in, he realized he never owned it in the first place. There you go. I like what it says, you know, when Jesus met the rich young ruler, it says Jesus loved him. Yes. To me, that's one of the most precious yes. lines in Scripture. And here's a guy who didn't turn out like Joseph of Arimathea. You know, he went away sorrowing because he had many mm -hmm. possessions. Mm -hmm. But Jesus spoke to him the way he did and said, you know, sell it all. Come follow me. He said it because he loved him. Mm -hmm. You know, he cared for that man's soul. First Takes is produced by First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our theme music was written and recorded by Wes Breedlove. Our sound engineer is me, Dylan Thomas. Our host is Dr. Gabriel Fleur. S.K. Van Pufflin is our executive producer. And for more information about First Presbyterian or our ministries here, visit our website at 1stpresbyterian.com.